Section 8 of Dog Heroes of Many Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dog Heroes of Many Lands by Sarah Noble Lives. Chapter 8 Bracky, a Kaffir Dog. The lion was dead, no doubt as to that. He lay motionless, his ragged black mane stained with blood, and the small knife that had cut his strand of life still sticking in his throat. His yellow tawny eyes had not yet lost their luminous glitter, and his jaws were set just as when he had last torn the flesh of the man who lay beside him. The man was a kaffir, big, black, and muscular, bred to the wild, or he never could have killed the lion in a single combat, old though it was, so old that one of his fangs was missing. The man, too, appeared at first to be dead. Bracky thought he was. He crept up, whining uneasily, and began licking his master's wounds. After a while, Wanya, the man, groaned and opened his eyes. The soothing touch of the little tongue on his broken body brought him partly to consciousness. The hot South African sun poured relentlessly down into the kloof where he lay. Up above him he could see the wheeling vultures that had already scented the dead lion. It would not do to lie too near. With an agonizing effort he dragged himself on his elbows up to the rise and into the shadow of a clump of prickly pear bushes. Once in the shade he lapsed again into a dead stupor. Bracky had seen his master lie asleep many a time, but never like this. This was different. And Bracky loved him. He must do something. The little dog scampered away among the karoo bushes and was gone half an hour. When he returned, Wanya was sitting up, looking in a dazed way at his wounds. There were many, and one leg was terribly lacerated. Bracky held in his mouth a dead bird, not yet cold. This he laid at his master's feet. He looked up at Wanya, wriggling and wagging his tail, happy to have done a service. "'Good dog,' said Wanya, in the Kaffir tongue. "'I will not starve with you to help find food for me. I must fix this leg, though. The lion made a bad crunching.' With great trouble, and with his teeth set to the pain of it, he managed to close the gaping wound, fastening it with a wisp of grass. Then he fainted again. Bracky waited near, whining for recognition of his gift. When Wanya returned to consciousness, Bracky had laid the bird in his hand. "'A good thought,' said Wanya. "'To eat will give strength. My knife, ah, the lion has it. I must do without.' He skinned the bird with his fingers and ate the raw flesh. There was still water in the flask he carried at his side, and he took a scanty mouthful, knowing that with the rising fever of his wounds there would be infinite need of economizing the precious drops. With such leaves and grasses as he could reach from where he lay, he roughly tended his other wounds. It was a poor substitute for surgical dressing, but it must do. Someone might come that way and save him. He was off the beaten track, but there were always chances, and men learn in the South African bush to take chances and look for them. Exhausted, he lay back again and slept. When he awoke, 
Bracky was again licking the wounds as if they were his own. The sun had dipped behind the rim of the wide Karoo country. The twilight softened rough rock and clay and thorny cacti alike into velvet. The wind stole softly over the desert distances and touched Wanya's black forehead with its cool fingers. He slept again, and Bracky lay beside him under the stars. Morning when Wanya awoke, he had first to break through a numbing stiffness. The hot needles of pain stirred him again, and he opened his eyes to look straight into the eyes of Bracky, who stood above him. In Bracky's mouth was a little flying squirrel, fresh killed. Bracky was not a beautiful dog. He was just one of those curs of mean descent that one sees in the Kaffir kraals. But Bracky was distinguished above others of his race by the qualities of his master. Wanya was good to him and did not kick and beat him, and the little dog's devotion was fearless and doubly loyal. He laid the animal down and barked, Breakfast time, to Wanya, and Wanya blessed the gods of his religion and ate. There was not much flesh, only a few mouthfuls, and he threw the cleanly picked bones to Bracky. Bracky did not touch them. Instead, he yapped an explanation to the effect that he understood it was a poor meal for a man, and was off again. In an hour he returned with a spring haas, or jumping hare. This was a great find, and Wanya satisfied his hunger, and with one draft of water felt that he might pull through the day. Bracky, too, seeing that there was plenty and to spare, crunched hungrily the tender bones. The shade where Wanya lay was good, for the clump of prickly pear was thick and tall. Moreover, from the tips of its fat leaves hung red fruit. Not the best fruit in the world, the prickly pear, but it is juicy, and that means much in a desert country. The sun rose high in the blue, a swimming haze of heat quivered over a dust-yellow plain, and Wanya's wounds throbbed from mere pain into torture. But for Bracky he could not have stood it. The dog seemed to have decided that he was the trained nurse on the case without a doctor, and his training was to lick the wounds and to keep them clean and free from festering germs. As he would have done for himself, so he did unto Wanya, and the man was saved from blood poisoning and was grateful. When his master dropped asleep, Bracky was off foraging. It was not easy to find food enough to meet the demands of Wanya's hunger, but he did his best. A sound or a scent, and Bracky went stalking in that direction. How he would steal up to a bird or a squirrel, he might tell you. I cannot. But Quartermaster Bracky never let a day go by without bagging and bringing into camp one or more victims. Now and again, if Wanya offered him the bones which he could not eat, Bracky would crunch them, but usually he sat by, watching his master's meal with dumb devotion. Once, an army of ants went by. Wanya could see them on the copy just below him hurrying along, all eager to reach some treasure their scouts had discovered. He waited in horror. If they came his way, it meant, in his helpless condition, death. Death too awful to think of. He held his breath. 
one or two stragglers turned toward him but immediately faced about returning to the original scent past him they scurried a long sinister train and wanya breathed again it was the lion lying down there in the kloof that had attracted them the living man was spared the days went by the water was all gone from the canteen and now the prickly pears were called into use with a dead stalk wanya could dislodge one from the bush above him then peeling away the uncomfortable prickly skin he would suck the juices from the pulp down in the kloof Bracky had found a tiny pool in a rock cup left by the rains and the warm brackish liquid was enough to slake his thirst thus he kept himself alive for his master's service always from day to day wanya's suffering increased seven times the sun dragon leaped from the east forked with fury and shot its fiery rays down at him each one tipped with the poison of pain then the kindly shade of the prickly pears would crawl to him and save him from going mad the eighth and then the ninth morning came wanya lay in a delirium now he would start up raving because a milk bush had pointed its fingers at him he was sure now that it was turning into a zulu warrior threatening him with his asagi and he lay there helpless unable to rise and fight it out now a vulture swooped down from the wheeling circle above the lion and sat eyeing him until he made a violent effort and frightened it away now the agony of his wounds was as hot irons searing him now he was back in the kraal where he had been born watching the warriors in their rejoicing over some victory and wondering when he too would be a man and a warrior with spear and shield now a lion with black mane stood over him ready to devour him he cried aloud and struck out to be first with his own claws and the thing was bowled over it was bracky the dog picked himself up and looked at his master wondering and bewildered that was not like wanya other masters struck their brackies but not his not his wanya he would get him another bird no doubt he was hungry bracky started off game was not too plenty if only now he were strong enough to bring down one of those hartebeests grazing on the belt that would make a feast that would cure wanya and save bracky himself from starvation his own emaciated little body cried out for nourishment but always first when he had the strength he must look out for his master it was harder now bracky was weak and could not leap far for his prey after he had stalked it at last after several vain efforts a squirrel jumped the wrong way and bracky had him the long day was nearly spent now with the fresh food and the cool of the night wanya would be better the dog dropped his game in his master's outstretched hand and waited expectantly wanya lay still stiller than ever bracky barked the kaffir did not waken a little tongue flicked over the black face wanya was not dead but he no longer knew or heeded his dumb servant 
he lay hovering between life and death now and then muttering something that bracky could only half hear and wholly failed to understand bracky did not sleep all night he watched now tending his master's wounds now lying by his side with his nose on wanya's arm looking into his face with a growing fear the coolness brought no change to the sick man under the dark dome he lay with his face upturned and his eyes sightless the stars marched on their unaltered courses across the sky dawn came with the promise or the threat of another unbearable day perhaps the last for wanya the squirrel lay in wanya's hand untouched his feet were in the dark valley and he did not even know the sun had risen high noon again hot and blistering again the heat waves danced and shimmered over the karoo country the milk bushes pointed their fingers in vain wanya lay as one dead bracky awoke from a doze of exhaustion and turned his nose in the direction of the wind across the arid plain came the scent of something that made the dog leap to his feet wavering with weakness he started in the direction whence it came that was the smell of meat cooking and there would be men and help help for wanya over the copy he dragged himself now the air stirred more freshly and the scent grew stronger through the prickly pear and karoo bushes he pushed his way up near the top of the kopje where there was wind enough blowing to cool them after the morning's exertion a party of hunters had dismounted from their sweating horses they built a fire and were preparing their noonday meal they were a jolly trio and flushed with the success of the morning they made merry and laughed to scorn the scorching heat of the south african sun three dead blesbok lay in the shade of the bushes and the kaffir beater of the party of englishmen skinned and prepared the flesh of another animal for roasting over the coals now the savory odors floated away on the wind mingled with the aroma of boiling coffee the hunters threw themselves down in the best shade they could find and watched the operations of the kaffir servant they had not long to wait until the meal was ready and they lost no time in gathering around the appetizing luncheon well i'm glad for one that i came to kimberley to hunt said jack aronson other people may go skirmishing around here after diamonds but it'd be a good big precious stone that i would take in exchange for that gallop over the veldt in the early morning before we sighted the herd somehow it seemed a shame to kill em they were having as much fun as we were dick colby the smallest and most thoughtful-looking of the three helped himself to another piece of meat wade ashton laughed lazily you seem to be enjoying the result of the hunt as much as anybody and i'll wager you were as excited as any of us when you brought down your buck i'll own up to a certain amount of inconsistency the sport of chasing the jolly little beast is fine but i'll never get over the feeling of having committed a crime when i see a beautiful animal lift his head and look at me snort and then crumple down into a lump of meat you'll never make a hunter dick said jack you haven't the true sporting instinct you're a cracking good shot though pity you're so tender-hearted well said dick thoughtfully you see my first experiment at hunting was unfortunate 
when i was a small shaver i used to practice with my first little rifle shooting at a sardine tin down by the stables at home when i got so i could hit the tin in the white of its eye i was fired with an ambition to go farther and do real deeds i wandered down through the kitchen garden looking for game a little bird was sitting on the cherry tree singing its heart out just bubbling over the thing you call the sporting instinct gripped me i aimed and fired never dreaming that i could hit anything so small he wasn't bigger than my thumb without any rhyme or reason in the world i killed a song every time i ever hit anything since i hear that little bird rotten isn't it you're a poet dick said wade mere men like jack and me can't get these fine sidelights on things what's that do you fellows see a ghost of a dog over there or am i seeing a mirage a little ragged animal with his bones barely hidden by his baggy skin peered out from behind a karoo bush just above them and whined piteously jack the elder and host of the party turned his head that that's a bracky one of those mangy curs that hive with the kaffirs the crowds swarm with them sometimes don't encourage him he'll never leave us i don't mind a good dog in camp but we don't want that thing following us throw something at him wade a lump of clay went hurtling in the direction of this apology for a dog he dodged the missile and came near again and yet again wade aimed at him each time with the same result at last he came within a few feet of them and set up a heartbroken wail i believe the brute's starving said dick here i'll try him with a piece of meat dick threw a big piece at him and the dog leaped halfway to meet it snapping his jaws with a click it was so large and he so weak that it knocked him over together the dog and meat went rolling down the copy until they brought up under a milk bush struggling to its feet the bracky seized the meat and bounded weakly away out of sight among the bushes cowardly curs those afraid to eat in sight of us he'll sneak off and gorge himself here's hoping he won't come back and attach himself to us permanently there's one thing sure said wade he won't need anything more to eat for a day or two ten minutes later dick looked over the edge of his third cup of coffee as i live there he is again wade laughed did he eat all that meat in that space of time he certainly was low in his commissary department give him another a good big chunk dick threw him a piece larger than the first the bracky seized it and made off with it as before they say a kaffir can eat his own weight in food if the cur eats that i can testify that the dog is the equal to his master look said dick there he is again and he looks as thin as ever i can't see where he puts it well our meal's finished and there's more meat left here you copy or bracky or spring beast what's the kaffir for catch a large portion of meat fell at the dog's feet this time he did not touch it he simply sniffed it hungrily and stood looking first at it and then at the men with big piteous eyes something's wrong with him said dick he's trying to tell us see him quiver all over and i'll wager a shillin he's hungry yet 
There was a ravenous longing in every motion when he smelled that meat. Just watch him. The dog gave a quick short yelp, ran behind the bushes, then came back looking up expectantly and wistfully. He's playing some kind of game, I should judge, said Wade. No, he isn't. I believe he's trying to make us follow him. Dick rose and took a few steps toward the animal. The bracky gave a joyous bark and bounded up the rise, looking back now and then to see if he was followed. "'Come on, fellas, let's plug the heart out of this mystery,' said Wade, and he and Jack followed leisurely. Up the copy to the very summit they followed. Then the dog took a sharp turn to the right, plunged down the other side into a kloof, and disappeared behind a clump of prickly-pear bushes. "'Someone's been here,' said Dick. Look at the prickly pear skins thrown about. Jove, someone's here now. The dog was licking the face of a kaffir, who lay on the ground motionless. Almost as emaciated as the dog, he seemed, here and there on his body were evidences of half-healed wounds. One leg was rudely bound with leaves and grass, now dried and crackling with the heat. All about him lay the cleanly picked bones of small animals and birds, and by his limp claw-like hand lay a dead squirrel and two pieces of meat, untouched. Bracky looked up into the faces of his relief party to see if they understood. He whined, but his master made no sign. Jack Aronson stooped over the man and brushed away the flies. Then he knelt and listened to see if the heart had stopped beating. Not dead, but pretty well out of the running. Think that we can save him? Perhaps. We can make a try. What do you think happened? Don't know. Fight of some kind. Those wounds are torn, not cut. Some animal, probably. Wade examined the ground. Here's a trail of some kind. Yes, it looks as if he had crawled some distance to get there. Let's explore a bit. Jack led the way. The trail was plain. The man had evidently dragged himself that way. The dried blood still showed here and there. Not far to find, the lion lay there ten days killed, the flesh all stripped from the bones by the vultures and ants. The small knife, too, was there still. All around were evidences of a fearful struggle. And the Kaffir killed him with that half-whispered Dick. I'd hate to tackle the brute with a two-edged sword, let alone a little dinky knife like that. Let's go back and see what we can do for that fellow up there. He must be worth something, or his dog wouldn't care for him so much. Gently they examined the man. He's merely suffering from his wounds and loss of blood, said Jack. He hasn't starved, thanks to that dog of his. And I have a notion that a drink of cool water would go a long way toward making him see daylight. Jove, that lion nearly finished him. I don't see how the man ever pulled out alive. Here, you fellows, lend a hand and we'll get him into camp. Come on, copy, or whatever you are, said Dick. You're worth caring for, too. I'd be proud to own you myself. In the camp, Wanya was given water. Drop by drop it was forced between his parched lips. At last he opened his eyes. Bracky, he said, and closed them again. And Bracky was there. Oh, be sure of that. Bracky of the loyal heart. He stood and watched the ministrations. 
when his master had really come back to life had eaten and drunk all that it was safe to give him he too ate and drank like the starved thing he was wanya's wounds were bathed and dressed and on one of the hunter's horses he was taken to kimberley and placed in the hospital his iron constitution served him well in three weeks he was well and strong again he proved to be no common kaffir but was intelligent above his race and proud indeed he was when he was elected unanimously as beater for the party and bracky there was no question of his position he was already aide-de-camp to wanya and in a short time even jack's scorn for kaffir curs had ceased to exist as an attache of the hunting outfit he proved himself invaluable he had a nose for game and four willing feet and eagerness to be of service and affection for everybody but next to wanya in bracky's heart dick was enshrined for dick had been first to understand and there was no need of speech between them End of section eight.